Today on Ag News Daily. What we can then do is take that as an input and say, all right, we want to go put these cover crop seeds directly in this wet patch that you couldn't plant. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by my co-host, Mike Pearson, and I am coming at you from Washington, D.C. Mike, you are sitting in downtown Chicago. Life is good. Yes, it is, Delaney. But now tell us, what are you learning in D.C.? You're there, you're exploring the nation's capital, no doubt advocating on behalf of America's farmers and ranchers. What good have you done for us, Delaney? Um, I'm here on vacation, so I haven't done a lot of good. I've ate a lot of <laughs> good food. How about that? We ate a really, at a really good restaurant last night called The Pig. I thought that was very fitting. And then we ate at another one, actually really cool restaurant called Founding Farmers, and the waiter was telling us it was started by a group of North Dakota farmers. Very cool. Yeah. Well, good. It's good to uh, give that support out to uh, growers from all across the country in the nation's capital. Yes, absolutely. Well, I tell you what, Delaney, it is hashtag Tech Tuesday mm-hmm. here on the podcast. We're glad you were able to join us. But we've got to talk through some farm news before we get too far into it, don't we? That we do, Mike. That we do. And since we're talking about helping out our farmers, it looks like USDA is going to begin offering hemp insurance coverage for the 2020 crop year. They said it will be available under the Whole Farm Revenue Protection Program, otherwise known as WFRP, which is typically offered to diversified farms that grow specialty or organic crops, but now they're going to allow eligible farmers to insure up to $8.5 million of their hemp revenue as well. Oh, interesting. Yes. All right. Well, there we go. Some We talked to, uh, or Madison talked about yesterday, some of the challenges that hemp growers are seeing shipping their hemp. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is part of the package to help kind of have this whole thing make sense from a federal perspective. Yes. Starting to see some of those pieces fall in line. Right, right, which would be good news for all those folks that are jumping into that that niche in this industry in Mm -hmm. uh, 2019-2020. Absolutely. Well, while we're talking federal news, we did have a piece of legislation actually get through our uh, bipartisan House and Senate, and that is the Farmer, excuse me, Family Farmer Relief Act of 2019. This is effectively an update of the Chapter 12 Bankruptcy Code, which is the chapter of the bankruptcy code that applies to agricultural operations that was put into force in the 1980s farm crisis. And basically, it, 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 this new law changes a few things. The big one is it lives the, lifts the cap, the debt cap, basically the size of the operations that are able to file under the per, uh, protections of this new law. So basically, if you are looking at the road of bankruptcy, get in touch with your bankruptcy attorney. This new law is law, and uh, they, I'm sure, will be far more up-to-date on what all it means for specific operations than I am. But uh, Farm Bureau has applauded it. I think every farm group that I have read about has issued a statement in support of it. So it seems to be bipartisan and roundly accepted within the industry, which is nice to see. Yes, it is nice to see. What else you got for us, Delaney Howell? You know, it's a little bit of a slow news day this week after such big news came out last week with the U.S.-Japanese trade deal. But it does seem that trade talks between the U.S. and China are begin are be, are set again to begin here after really the escalations that were happening last week. It sounds like President Trump said that the G7, G7 summit went well and talked to Chinese people that said, let's get back to the table. So, 
All right. Well, there we go. That's the indication that maybe something is possibly a little bit kind of getting ready to maybe start functioning in the forward direction. That was a lot of maybe wishy-washy, if so, statements. I know. I know. And, you know, can you blame me when we're no. talking about the China yeah. trade deal? Mm-hmm. We've, we've been Charlie Brown trying to kick this football before. Let's see That's if they true. can actually hold it on the ground. That's true, Mike. You get that reference? You watched some peanuts there growing up? Yeah, absolutely. Well, good for you, Delaney Hal. You're you're not as young as we thought. Okay, thank you. Well, I've got some news out of D.C., actually. Today, the U.S. Court of of Appeals ruled in favor of the National Pork Producers Council. Uh, NPPC was looking to dismiss a lawsuit brought by the Humane Society of the U.S. Um, Basically, that the HSUS said that they were injured because proceeds from the transaction, that is the pork checkoff, were misappropriated by the National Pork Board and the pork checkoff. And the D.C. court found that HSUS failed to demonstrate that they had suffered any harm from the transaction, including the associated payments. So they said the HS, excuse me, NPPC said that the dismissal of this case is a win for American pork producers who depend on NPPC's issues, advocacy work, and the research, education, and promotional work performed by the National Pork Board. And uh, so there we go. Finally, a, a loss for HSUS in the federal court systems, which is always nice to see. One thing that hasn't been nice to see, though, was President Trump coming out in support of those small refinery exemption waivers. And interesting article here on Reuters talking about what it could do to RIN prices and what it already has done to RIN prices. And on Friday, it traded to one of the lowest levels that it's seen in two years, trading at 15 just 15.75 cents a piece for a RIN credit on Friday, which is far below the kind of high or the average for two years here, which was at 88 cents per RIN right. credit. And um, I thought this was interesting. I don't think I've ever seen this number before, but this article from Reuters is quoting that a small refinery exemption program is allowed for refineries of less than 75,000 barrels per day. I guess that's what their definition of a small refinery is. Okay. Well, that's. I don't think I've heard that number either, so that no. is good information to have out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got some, I guess, upbeat news. It is upbeat news in that it beat expectations. Um, U.S. consumer confidence, which, of course, we, we look to as the American consumers, one of the strongest buyers of American agricultural products, particularly the higher value goods like proteins and specialty crops. And uh, consumer confidence fell less than expected in August, and households are still upbeat about the labor market, um, basically saying, forget about the trade war. We still have jobs. Our pay is still climbing. And things look good when we look at the stock market, when we look at home values, all of these other factors that, you know, figure into the way people view the economy. They said they were broadly going in the right direction. Uh, There was a quote here by Chris Rupke, who's the chief economist at MUFG in New York. He said, the consumer remains confident despite the ongoing trade war between the U.S. and China, and this bodes well for the economic outlook in the second half of the year. So hopefully consumers are going to keep going out just like you are, Delaney Howell, dining at high-end restaurants and paying a premium for quality-produced agricultural goods. Well, it sounds like one new product that consumers may be able to enjoy. Personally, I will not be enjoying it, but 
KFC is rolling out the plant-based Beyond Fried Chicken. They're taste testing it here across um, two, a couple different restaurants here. It looks like starting out in Atlanta, Georgia, starting on Tuesday, as well as a couple other places across Nashville, Memphis, some other places in the south. It looks like they are rolling out their Beyond Fried Chicken, which is a plant-based protein. And their CEO and founder said that his only regret is not being able to see Colonel Sanders himself enjoying this important moment and meal. Hmm. I wonder yeah. what the colonel would think. I don't know. But I'm going to tip my hat. I don't care for, you know, these these protein alternatives. I get that they are still agricultural goods. I get that they are beneficial to producers of peas and canolas and, and soybeans and the other vegetable-based proteins, which is good news. But I just I just can't get on board. But I will, like I say, tip my hat to KFC for unveiling this in the South, the home of fried chicken. I mean, they're really not pulling any punches. I figured if, if I were KFC, I'd be, you know, starting it off in New England where fried chicken is right. such a cultural staple. Hmm, that's true. I never thought about it like that. Yeah, well, you know, you think about things differently when that's you're meatling. Uh, yeah, okay, Mike. My brain is just so giant. Uh-huh. 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 Does Anyhow. that giant brain have any more news for today? Oh, uh, my giant brain is all out of okay. news for today. It is a very slow news day, yes. but of course, we do still have markets to discuss before we get to our interview. Let's do that. All right, let's do it, folks. And we've got some mixed trade in the grains today. Corn found a little weakness. Soybeans uh, definitely found a little bit of weakness. And wheat was up slightly on the day. Looking at the corn market, September was down one and a half cents at 3.57 even. December down two cents at 3.66 and a quarter. In soybeans, that step was down seven and a half cents at 8.46 and a quarter. November down eight cents, finishing the day at 8.59 and a quarter. And in Chicago wheat, September up three quarters of a cent at 4.73 and three quarters. December up one and a half, finishing the day at 476 and three quarters. Jumping over to the livestock market, weakness down the protein ladder today. Starting in live cattle, that October contract was down $1.2250 at 99.7750, with the December down $1.1750 to finish the day at 104.80. In feeder cattle, September was down $2.22.5, closed the day at 133.7750. The October down $1.8750, finishing up at 132.50. And in lean hogs, a bit of profit-taking after yesterday's limit-up day. The October contract was down 57.5 cents at 63.2250, with the December down 12.5, finishing at 62.90. Looking over to the world of dairy, the August contract, which expires here shortly, was unchanged on the day at 17.60. September was up a nickel at 17.30, and the October was down 8 cents, wrapping it up at 17.41. Delaney Howell, why don't you tell us who we're talking to in our Tech Tuesday conversation for the day? Well, we are going to be getting an update from Michael Ott, who is the founder of Rantizo, looking at some of their drone technology that is being rolled out here across the Corn Belt. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, I am joined by Michael Ott, who is the CEO of Rantizo, and we are getting an update today on the company because, Michael, as I understand it, you guys have had a lot of things moving and shaking over there. I've got a lot of new announcements and things rolling out this this year. It's been really fun. We are now up and going in multiple states using drones to apply for agriculture. So tell me a little bit about more about that is is agricultural drone spraying 
still pretty new in the industry. I, I just saw a press release come out that you guys have drone spraying approved now for a couple more Midwestern states. Where does the industry sit as far as that's concerned? It is brand new. We are the first and only company permitted in these states. So we're in Iowa, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Minnesota, and Illinois. And we apply both liquids and solids from drones precisely where they're needed in fields. Tell me a little bit more about that. How does that work to precisely sure. apply an application? Yeah, so when uh, a farmer has an issue, whatever it may be, he's got burr cucumber, uh, maybe they need cover crop seeds, or you've got some imagery company that's flown above and said, okay, you've got these issues in these uh, precise locations. What we can then do is take that as an input and say, all right, we want to go put these cover crop seeds directly in this wet patch that you couldn't plant. We can do that. We can cover the whole field in cover crop seeds if you want, but it's a lot easier in most instances to go right to those areas where you need it. Uh, we can also do fungicide applications late in season when the corn is very tall and you want to apply something out there, but it may be really hard to get a ground rig because, uh, you know, corn's seven, nine feet tall, however high it gets. Uh, we can get into fields when nobody else can. So a day like today is a perfect example. So I'm in Iowa City. And it just poured rain all night, uh, downpour, and now it's pretty nice and sunny. You definitely could not get a tractor in a field right now, but we're flying and applying uh, at this moment. Wow, that is quite the difference then, getting in yeah, I mean, big it's, rigs. Yeah, it's nice and sunny, you know, like, like at noon it got, it got to be sunny. It was like, perfect, let's go. So <laughs> we've got a, a full half day of, of work that we can get done where, you know, nobody else is. And since you're talking about weather there, we know that drones can be pretty persnickety when it comes to, you know, um, wind in particular. What sort of precautions do you guys have to take when spraying certain chemicals, sure. especially when you look at things like dicamba, which obviously have a little bit of volatilization and drift issues as is? Absolutely. So a lot of things there. We've got pretty good sized drones. So they're uh, with a boom that we put on, it's 14 feet wide with a 20-foot swath. So we're covering 100 acres a day, 14 acres an hour. So they're pretty good-sized units. So wind is actually not that big of a concern for us. We can fly up to 20-mile-an-hour winds, and most chemical labels will top out at 15 or 18 miles an hour. So if you can't spray due to the wind, it's due to the chemical label, not the drone. So we always advocate doing safe you know, regulated, legal, on-label spraying. And that's what we've always done as a company and, and plan to do. And when you look at weather issues, obviously this growing season has been pretty abnormal compared to most. How does spraying, drone spraying, uh, um, change in years like this one where we've seen so much wet weather or, or so much just varied weather across the Corn Belt? Yeah, we have the ability to get into fields when almost no one else can. So that's really advantageous. Like I mentioned earlier, like we've got a half day of spraying that's going to be great. You know, from, from noon until 8, it should be perfect. So we're out there getting things done. Uh, so that, that field access due to weather, due to other issues, that's, uh, that's something that's a big advantage of drones compared to the traditional equipment that's out there. And when you look at the 
approval side from your standpoint, how difficult was it to get approved by the FAA? Because we know you have to have a commercial drone license and when you're when you're flying in any sort of setting, what does the added level of spraying chemicals do to that on your end? Sure. So there's three things that you need to legally spray. First is a part 107. That's a drone pilot's license that just about anybody can get. Uh, you just get online, take a course. You got to go uh, get registered with the FAA, but it's it's easy to do. Uh, next is to get your chemical applicator's license, which once again, take the course. Anybody can do that. There's lots of app, uh, chemical applicators out there. And then the third one that's a little bit harder is to get a part 137 from the FAA. And Rantizo has done that. And we extend that to our partners and customers so they can be up and legally spraying. And when you've got all three of those things, then you can get insurance. Then you, when you report everything, you've got all the right numbers and documents to fill out. So those are the three things that you need. And we make that easy for our customers so they can just take it and, and get going really quickly. That's one of the things that we've seen at the end of this year. Uh, there's just a lot of opportunities. So getting people up and spraying faster has been really advantageous for, for our customers. And when you look at that up and running mentality, what do you see as far as economic benefits between using a drone and, and having to wait in some instances like today where you might not be able to get a big, big rig sprayer into a field? Yeah. So we're doing 100 acres a day, which is really good for spot and precise applications. We tend to get called in in situations where it's hard for somebody else to get in there. So if you've just got a flat 60 acres and it's dry, go use a tractor. That's a better way to do it, for sure. You can do 600 acres a day with a, with a, a ground rig. Uh, what you can't do, today you're doing zero acres. Uh, so that's where we'll get 60 or 80 in this afternoon. Um, so it's, you know, 60 or 80 is certainly greater than zero. Uh, we're also finding times where um, uh, planes are having hard times uh, being accurate with what, what, what they're doing. Uh, we had a situation where we were applying in one farmer's field and a crop duster was hitting the field right next to us. Like, so we had to give away. We're a smaller craft. That's how that works. So we understand it. So we were waiting for five, five minutes or so. And this crop duster came down and started to spray a little too early and hit our field, hit the drone, hit the trailer, hit everything else. So he covered us as well. So it made an example of, you know, that imprecise application that happens uh, with traditional methods, uh, we don't ever have that problem. Uh, where I guess last night we were doing one, we were working pretty late, and uh, I looked at it. We were trying to spray exactly down a row, using RTK, being very precise. And and one of my pilots said, "You know what? We're like three inches off." And I was like, "We are, but that's okay. Three inches is fine." <laughs> Yeah, as you're doing a spray. That's yeah. pretty. I mean, that's still very focused in three inches compared to what the, the planes do is that's crazy. It's hundreds of yards. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's why the first guy that bought from us, uh, he paid for a cover crop seed applied aerially at the end of last year. And the plane missed the first third of his field and then end up applying a third of the seeds in his neighbor's field. So you say all winter I had look out there and I had, bare ground and then my neighbor had all these cover crop seeds that I had paid for that were you know on his ground so he's like there's got to be a better way and he's one of our first uh, uh, one of our first customers and to give you an example so we charge uh, you had asked about economics earlier 
we charge $150 an hour to spray. And we typically will spray about 10 to 15 acres per hour. 10 to 14 is kind of our, our normal range. So that breaks down to about 10 to $15 an acre. It's really tough to, to go by the acre though, because we're always getting into special situations where it's like, go spray these three acres, but not this seven, go spray these five and not this. So that's why we do the hourly rate. And that generally works out better for, for everyone involved. Uh, but that guy that I uh, mentioned, uh, we paid, he ended up getting paid $3,000 for a week's worth of work, which was pretty good return on, you know, a drone investment, mm-hmm. which is 20 to $25,000. So that leads me to my next question. How do you decide or decipher where the weeds are that you need to spray and attack? Does a farmer give you some sort of data layer that shows you exactly where you need to go in the field? Or is it just the pilot's responsibility from eyeballing the field to figure it out? Oh, that's fully integrated. So we're partnering up with imagery companies and they are coming up with uh, field prescriptions, which is generally in the form of a shape file. So when they say you've got weeds in this area, you've got insects over here, we go spray a herbicide in one area, insecticide in another area, and uh, that's where you drop it in really precisely. So that's integrating with imagery companies, uh, which we're excited about. We've done a few of those right now, and we're continuing to partner with, with others in the industry just to, to show that there's really a better way to do this. And when you look at things from a planting perspective, you mentioned that farmer there that, that was having cover crop cover crop seed applied that way. Michael, do you see the future of Rantizo heading in that direction where you also have those specific application of maybe I didn't get a spot planted, I need to have somebody go back in and fill that in for me? Is that something that you see as part of your niche as well? So you could do like later season soybean planting. That's, that's been done aerially. Probably a corn you'd want to apply uh, with, with, with a planter, uh, but certainly cover crop seeds and other things, we can aerially do that. I think we're going to get to swarming in full automation, and that's really where we're pushing. So right now, we've got fully autonomous flights, so the drones fly themselves. They've got collision avoidance. They've got terrain following. We've not crashed one. I'm going to knock on wood. <laughs> and... It, it's because it's hard to. So uh, that, that's kind of, that, that's where we are now. Uh, we've got a pilot who clicks launch, the drone does its thing, comes back when it's low on liquid or low on battery, reload, and it takes off again. So it, it's pretty simple. What we want to do is actually automate that process where the pilot reloads the liquid or changes the battery. And we've got some systems in design for that as well. Wow, that's going to be a really handy system then once that gets all rolled out. Yeah, I want fully autonomous spraying because we're seeing issues where exposing people to all these chemicals is not something that you really want to do. Uh, So we want to get it away from people. Uh, One of our, our very first sprays was for a cannabis grower. And the drone sprayer was the only thing that worked for them. So it had rained for about two weeks, so it was way too muddy for a tractor. They were too close to an airport, so they couldn't have a plane come in. And then it was an insecticide that makes your lips go numb. So none of the employees would backpack spray it. So we put it in the drone, programmed it where to go, and then the drone applied it in the field hmm. away from people. 
Michael, before we also let you go, I want to make sure we hit on one important thing, and that is the demonstrations that you've got coming up here over the next couple of months. It looks like you're going to be in full force. Tell us about some of those in-person applications that folks can go see. Yep, we're partnering up with Ag Ventures on September 12th. We'll be in Belmont, Iowa, which is near Mason City. We're doing a demo there. We'll be in uh, Memphis, Tennessee on the 18th and 19th doing demonstrations uh, focused on cannabis and a couple other crops uh, there. We'll have a customer event down in Memphis on the 18th and 19th. We'll be with Growmark in uh, Bloomington, Illinois on the 20th. And then on the 24th, we'll be near Harlan, Iowa uh, with HDS Ag doing a demonstration with them. So we'll get a big chunk of the Midwest and South covered. Wow, that is really interesting stuff. Michael, before I let you go, how can folks find out more information about what you guys are doing or to find out if they could potentially get their fields sprayed airily? Sure, check us out at rantizo.com, R-A-N-T-I-Z-O.com. And then we're pretty active on Twitter, at Rantizo Sprays. There's a lot of good videos and information and and I we do a lot with our Twitter account, so that's a good way to interact either on the website or Twitter. Perfect. Well, we will tag you on Twitter. Michael, thanks so much for taking the time to fill us in on where you guys are sitting. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, a big thank you there again to Michael Ott from Rantizo. Interesting stuff they're doing with drone spraying technology, and I suspect there will be other companies following in their footsteps here very soon. Yeah, definitely paving the way, that's for sure. Neat to see those guys getting out there and getting the approvals and getting some successes under their belt. Absolutely. Well, we've talked to all kinds of fascinating tech companies over the several years this podcast has been on. And if listeners want to get caught up on some of the past companies to see maybe where they've come from and figure out where they're at today, they can go to our website at agnewsdaily.com. That's our It'll take you to our new home with the Global Ag Network, and you can connect with us. You can connect with other podcasters and other podcasts focused on the world of agriculture or Delaney Where can they go on social media? Well, we're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, thanks to our wonderful intern, Madison Honkamp. So do be sure to check us out there at Ag News Daily. Mike, with that, shall we let the people go? Let's let them go. (laughs) 